Welcome to the 50 States Finish Line podcast, where we talk about running, road races, and all the ways that running enriches our lives. I'm Pam, and I've run half marathons in 28 states and have completed five marathons. Thank you for tuning in. Let's get started. According to their website, the Color Run was founded in 2011 as the healthiest and happiest event by bringing the community together in the happiest 5K on the planet. Deemed a paint race, the race has color instead of water stations where they splash yellow, red, and blue chalk-like paint onto the runners as they stream by. My guest and I ran the Color Run in New York City. Well, kind of in New York City, but more on that later. We'll also talk about the Detroit Half Marathon and the Madison, Wisconsin Half Marathon, as well as we'll check in with my guest on how he keeps his running going, including some family events like the Mile Challenge. Welcome, Tom. Do you want to tell our listeners a little bit about yourself as a runner? Yes. Hello, everyone. Uh, I'm Tom, son of your podcast host here on the 50 States Finish Line podcast. Um, I've been running... For most of my life, my official first road race was a 5K I ran when I was 10. Uh, The course ran right through our neighborhood as kids, so we'd always get up and hand water out and cheer on the participants. And I recall one year, uh, the group of us kids decided we would would, uh, register and and compete. Um, It was a great race. I think I remember finishing in about 40 minutes. Um, So it uh, it was a lot of fun, and I wore bim number nine, which I thought was really cool. (laughs) <laughs> I continued to run through middle school and through high school and have remained a, an active runner after college. So I don't quite have as many races under my belt, um, but I've completed half marathons in Michigan and Wisconsin. So great to be here. Nice to have you, Tom. Now, so was that Todd's Trot? Was that one of the initial races, the famous Todd's Trot in our town? It was, yep. Um, Todd's Trot was a race that I think no longer is happening in Durham, but uh, for many years, uh, started and ended at Oyster River High School, not far from where we are. Uh, and the water station at the halfway mark was right in the smack center of our neighborhood. So we used to always hand out water to runners, and it was a great event, I think, every April. Yeah, yeah. And it was it was a hilly one, so uh, it wasn't necessarily the flattest course if, it, if folks were going to be starting out. But I would say that our town has a long tradition of being a running community and certainly in the middle school and high school, some really terrific runners came out of that program. So yeah, some early times there. And maybe even attending some races. You know, I was thinking back that you and your brother attended a lot of races that your dad and I did uh, separately and together. And I don't know if any of those kind of come to mind when you think about freezing out there in the cold waiting. Well, your dad's so fast, he finishes very quickly, but I was much slower. I'm much slower. But uh, any races that come to mind of being a spectator in those early years? Yeah, thinking back, um, it's funny. I always thought running was just a normal thing that people did, um, that that was just a natural part of like human life, which is kind of funny to think about. Uh, and it wasn't until you know I started running in middle school and high school that I realized that most people don't like to run at all. But growing up in a household where both parents are often running in local races, so going on to cheer dad or going on to cheer you, um, it just was a very natural part of our upbringing. So 
yeah, I remember a lot of half marathons. We'd always see a lot of the same participants. You and dad would always recognize other participants who were running the same races. So the Wallace Sands half or the Great Bay half marathon, a bunch of those great local races. I remember Market Square Day in Portsmouth was a great race. So a lot of great memories growing up. Yeah, for sure. For sure. So um, one race that was one of my favorites that you and I did together, and it wasn't really a race per se, but more of a run was the color run. And this was kind of, um, it had, it was a popular kind of event more than anything else, as I mentioned, where we kind of ran along and they threw, um, it was like chalk almost at us. And you and I went to New York City and we took a cab from our Manhattan. We were staying right downtown in the city out to this Floyd Bennett field, which was like a deserted airfield in Brooklyn. There was nothing around other than this particular event. So it dropped us off and all of a sudden it dawned on me that we had no way of getting back. So you were like enjoying every minute of the race and I was stressing every minute of the race because I thought, oh my gosh, how did I get us here? But... I remember lining up, and maybe you remember this too, lining up and everybody, it was it was just a straight tunnel of runners, everybody in like a white t-shirt and white shorts and maybe even a white bandana around their face to, um, to cover their noses and their mouths. And, um, and then we kind of started off. And do you remember that too, that experience of that race? Yeah, yeah. I remember actually seeing a YouTube video that the color run had put out. And I think it was in Philadelphia. It was like 30,000 runners to uh, taking to the streets of Philadelphia to run what at the time was a really unique 5k. I think there were some other, um, what I'll call for a lack of a better term, gimmicky races out there, like the tough mutter or Spartan races and the color run, I would say like fits into that type of race. Um, and so the color run was the first of its kind and they had just started with races in Philadelphia and Las Vegas. And I remember floating the idea of, of, uh, competing or, Competing is probably the wrong word, participating <laughs> um, in the color run in New York City where um, we often took trips. And yeah, it was a really great time. I remember, um, again, it was not a very competitive race, but I think more than anything, it just underscored a lot of the positive energy that the running community has. Uh, people more than anything, just getting friends together, being active uh, in what, again, was a really unique 5K experience. So uh, yeah, it was a it was a great time out in Brooklyn. Yeah, and I did look up before you and I got chatting. They still offer them, and now they do them at night, um, which I think would be would which would be really fun. But I do remember after we ran, we ended up getting in what they call a dollar van that took us to the nearest subway stop in Brooklyn, and then sitting on the subway car covered in our chalk. You ran right towards the color st stations. I was a little hesitant, so you were really covered. And then um, after taking that long subway ride, we had to walk the city streets again, all decked out in our colors um, back to our hotel. So I guess I would say to our listeners, you know, as, as you just mentioned, another fun way to be active, there's the color run, there's the Tough Mudders, there's lots of different kind of costume races this time of year around the holidays. There may be like Santa races where everyone puts on a Santa costume, but it's just really fun ways to keep things fresh. So later on, you know, that was kind of an early race when you headed off to college, you actually continued to run. And um, I think one of your first running experiences in the Midwest might have been a charity run that you did with a with a classmate. I know uh, we went out and spectated. It was a cold and windy, I think, March day. I was about to say fall day, but I think a March day. So that must have been kind of fun, but stressful, right? You had to raise money and run the race. Yeah, yep. So uh, 
when I got to the University of Michigan pretty quickly, I was poached by the men's crew team uh, to join their their freshman team. And Michigan obviously is a very big school. So one of the things and actually a piece of advice that you gave me going off to a really big school is to make the school smaller. Um, so as much as I ragged on on crew and rowing in high school, um, this felt like a good opportunity for me to, to make the school smaller. And we'd have to run two miles down to crew practice every day, down to the boathouse and back. And what I realized was that I actually enjoyed running to practice more than I liked practice to begin with. Um, which was Don't sort of, let the crew team yeah, hear that. Yeah, which was sort of an indication for me that maybe I'm doing the wrong sport. And I had been running in high school and I um, I wanted to get back to spending more time running as opposed to, to rowing. Nothing against rowing, just, just not my thing. So on the day that I decided I wasn't going to continue with rowing at the end of my freshman fall, I registered for the Ann Arbor Half Marathon, uh, which would be my my first half marathon. And as you said, it was taking place in March. Uh, for those of you who have not spent a winter in the Midwest, it's very, very cold. It's very, very dry and it's very, very windy. So um, I did most of my training that winter on a treadmill in uh, the University of Michigan, one of their gyms. Uh, just because I didn't want to brave the the winter winds. Um, and yeah, a friend and I did a, a bit of fundraising before that race uh, for a charity here in Boston, uh, which was sort of just another positive nod to the culture of of running. Uh, and it was, yeah, it was a really fun race. You and dad, I remember, came out to watch. I ran f- most of the race with another friend of mine named Ron, who in high school was an all-state track runner in the state of New Jersey. Uh, so I knew I was kind of out of my element and <laughs> it was not clear to me until mile 11 where we hit uh, some finishing hills and Ron took off and I, I fought to the finish line. So um, it was a challenging first experience, but a, a really great race nonetheless. And part of the reason why I continued to run a couple more after that. Nice. Nice. Yeah, that was that was a, a great, great event. And I don't know if the individuals that you ran with at that race, if they continued running. But I know for you, shortly after that race, you did want to sign up for another one. So it wasn't long thereafter that we ended up doing the Detroit uh, half, which also offers a marathon. And I have to say that was one of my favorite events. Again, there was a little bit of stress about it, but we'll talk about that. But um, a little bit about that race was the course leaves from Detroit and it crosses the Ambassador Bridge over into Ontario. And then you run along, I believe, I don't know, you run along water. You might know the body of water better than I do. And then you come back through a tunnel and finish back in Detroit. So that in and of itself was just amazing. And um, lots of fan support along the way. But the for me, one of the memories of that race was either we had to run with our passport. We definitely had to show our passport, right, at this yeah near the start. Yeah, yeah. So that Detroit half is really unique in that um, there's a full marathon and then there's two different halves. One of them is the international half, which, as you said, starts in Detroit. Which we did, right? We did, yeah. Yep. yeah. Um, you run over the Ambassador Bridge into Windsor, Canada. Uh, you run a couple miles over there and then come back through the tunnel. And then if you're doing the full marathon, you continue on another half marathon course through other parts of Detroit, including Belle Isle. So there's a international, a U.S., and then if you want to do both, you compete in the full marathon. Um, because we were participants in the international, we did have to run with our passports. And I remember the night before the race, you had to go pick up your bib at the expo. And as a part of getting your bib for the international half, you needed to show your passport. Um, I don't know if you remember this, but your flight was delayed getting into Detroit. I do. So I remember going to the expo early and pleading with the uh, registrants that I I was picking up a bib for for my mom who was coming in on a delayed flight. 
I had my passport, all forms of identification, and they were really strict. They wouldn't release your bib right. for me. So there was a, a moment of panic there that we thought you were going to have to do just the U.S. only half, which I don't think would have been quite as fun. But right. um, do you right. remember how you got I your did. bib the next so day? I did. So we woke up. So after a very sleepless night, I remember waking up very early the next morning, and we had to go almost like to um, the border patrol. We had to go to the border where, again, I had to show all my official documents, and then they would release the bib number to me. And it, you know, only then was there a sense of relief that I was actually going to be able to run the race. So that was like at six in the morning and the race went off shortly thereafter. And the other thing I do remember about that race was after we were in Canada coming back into the U.S., once you came through the tunnel, they almost had like crime tape up all the way along for a good long mile or two into the U.S., and they made sure that they looked at your bib to ensure that you were, in fact, a registrant for this year's race and that you weren't coming into the U.S. using a, a bib from a previous race. They were lots of Border Patrol. It was a really interesting um, coming back into the U.S. moment there. And they were very, very careful about ensuring that there weren't any bandits coming in on that race. Yeah, yeah, that was a that was a great experience. That was my first really big race, I think. Um you know, I know that you had done New York and Chicago marathons before that. So you were familiar with sort of the big race scene. That was the first one for me where they have all the different corrals at the start, um, you know, pop music blasting as you go off. So that was a really great experience. And I remember, too, when you came back into the U.S., they had warned that um, there were parts during the race when if there were a lot of people running around you, moving through the tunnel would get really, really hot. Mm. So I remember uh, as we ran over the Ambassador Bridge and through Canada, prepping to come back through the tunnel, I remember being worried that there was going to be just a lot of body heat <laughs> down in the tunnel. Um, thankfully, it was not nearly as bad as the pacer had made it sound. So, um, but yeah, that was a, a really wonderful experience. That was. I remember you had some really good friends from Michigan who met you there. And again, it was really crowded at the finish line. So I don't know. I don't know if in the last year or two with COVID that they did the international race. But if they do offer it in the future, I would definitely recommend it. And probably you would too, yeah. to individuals to do that if they need to check Michigan off their uh, their state roster and Canada if it counts but uh yeah wonderful race absolutely well we're going to take a short break you are listening to the 50 states finish line podcast and we'll be right back Welcome back to the 50 States Finish Line podcast. So we've been talking about Midwestern races, and we're going to jump to the Madison, Wisconsin half marathon. What a gorgeous capital city. That that capital was amazing. And I think both of us flew into Milwaukee and took the, I called it the Badger bus, which I think it was, we took the Badger bus up to Madison, which is about 90 minutes away. And if I recall, it was a game day, so it must have been a fall race when we were there. There were lots of fans in town. Everybody was dressed in red and white for uh, for their University of Wisconsin team. And you had mentioned maybe they were playing Iowa, Tom? Yep. I oh. remember it was a, a big Big Ten football uh, Saturday that, that day. The race was on Sunday, so there was a bunch of uh, Iowa Hawkeyes in Madison along with a bunch of 
50 staters and other people running the Madison half marathon. So it was an eclectic group that weekend. Yeah, it was, it was for sure. And I remember there, you know, one of the things I just remember about that particular race course was the Capitol was so large and so prominent that I remember being out on the course and looking off in the distance and seeing the Capitol almost like a homing beacon, knowing where the race was going to return to. And one thing I thought about with this race is so often if you arrive to a race early, as we often do, there may be a tendency if we had a rental car to go out and maybe drive part of the course. And this race made me think that it would be really fun to drive the course after you run it just to kind of revisit some of the landmarks because this course... Um, started in the center of downtown Madison, but then it went out into these really, really pretty neighborhoods, if I recall. And there were different bodies of water. So it was, for me, a little disorienting to kind of get myself kind of squared away of where we were going back to. So that's why the Capitol was so valuable to kind of know, all right, we've made our way and now we're heading back. But do you recall aspects of that course, Tom? Yeah, yeah. You you mentioned the, the bodies of water. For those who maybe aren't as familiar, Madison's situated right between two huge bodies of water, and most of the downtown strip is on an isthmus, just this skinny part of, of okay. land. Um, and I remember the finishing stretch, you had to come right up those streets along the water, so it was really, really windy. Um, and a fall day in Wisconsin, as if it's not cold enough already, uh, you get some Midwest wind in there, and it was, yeah, it was really, really cold. Um, but the other thing I really liked about it was uh, being in the Midwest, they're known for their beer. And I don't know if you remember that they had a lot of spotted cow. Oh, yeah, that's right. At the finish line, which is a, a craft beer that you can only buy in Wisconsin. As soon as you cross the state line into neighboring Minnesota or Illinois, you can't buy it anymore. So it's kind of a delicacy. And I remember that was really special <laughs> uh, and tasted really good enjoying a, um, a spotted cow after 13.1. <laughs> <laughs> and they also had a lot of ice cream shops, if I remember, even though it was November, the ice cream shops had long lines and hot cocoa, too. They were And cheese curds. That was right. the other. Yeah. They love their dairy. So, yeah, hopefully <laughs> that was that was really fun. You know, um, one thing I like to ask folks, are there things, you know, so beyond the races, you know, obviously training for a race requires kind of regularly running. So are there certain things that you do to keep yourself running? Yeah, I would say first and foremost, I always try and have a race on my calendar. It's actually one thing I don't have right now, but I think it always we helps. We can change that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. So I think that always helps to have um, a date out there as a day you want to run a race or a race that you're you're looking to do and then ultimately to sign up to spend the $100 or whatever it may be um, to, to get yourself moving. I think that that for me has been really motivating as something to work towards. Um, and then also just from a, you know, from a health perspective, especially now with a lot of work from home, being able to disconnect, it's, uh, it's like hitting the reset button. I think a lot of days being able to get out and, and run, even if it's just for, you know, two miles or 10 miles, however far you're, you're going. Nice. Nice. You didn't mention, um, the mile challenge, which is another little thing that you may, I don't know if you still have going, but yeah, yeah. So the mile challenge is something that our one of our uncles had introduced and has been doing for actually over a year now. And the whole idea is that it, on May 1st, you pay $20 and then every day you have to run one mile. And it can be, it just has to be done in under 15 minutes. So it's, it's pretty inclusive in that respect. So, uh, you know, folks of all ages and abilities are part of this challenge. And the whole rule is just you have to run one mile every single day 
outside and record it on Strava, which mm-hmm. is a running social so media So no app. treadmill allowed. No treadmill. So if it's cold, raining, whatever, it has to be I outside. I like that. Yep. And the one exception for indoor running is you can do your mile in an airport, which I actually had to do once this summer. If you're pinched on travel time, you can actually complete it inside. So um, yeah, that has been, and I will confess, was a great challenge. I'm actually no longer in it. I made it about 205 days. Well, that's still admirable. Yep. Um, And there's a couple other family members who are still going strong. And as I mentioned, the uncle who's organized it is actually now in his second year in a row of doing it. So he's got us all beat by at least 365 days, but just a great way um, to stay active. And the Strava aspect of seeing when other people are running creates a nice social aspect too, um, to know that others are out there doing their miles. So, so you can too. Nice. Nice. I don't have, I don't have that app, but it sounds like it's kind of a fun way to keep track of um, other folks getting their, their miles in. So it sounds like running has kind of enriched your life. And, you know, I always like to ask my guests a couple of questions just in terms of things like, do you have a favorite running shoe? Yeah, I do. Right now I'm running in the Hoka Rincons, which I think are my favorite shoe. I had the Rincon ones and have now moved on to the Rincon threes. I like the ones more. Um, (laughs) but they no longer make those. So I've definitely joined the Hoka cult. Are you in the Hoka cult as well? I am, yes. And it's interesting. number of people on this podcast are all, have also become Hoka fans. So they have definitely have come up with, a, with the right shoe. How about favorite tech item? Is there something that, you know, now you're living in a city, do you make sure that you wear or have on you when you go out for a run in the city? Yeah, I think like Most other folks maybe on the podcast have said headlamps are great, uh, especially in the winter when it gets dark out really early. Um, I enjoy running at night, so I think it's great to have a a working, reliable headlamp. I'll note that for the holiday. (laughs) How about a bucket list race or on the someday list? Dream race would probably be the Boston Marathon. I think like most people, it would be really special to to qualify and compete in in Boston. Very uh, lofty goal. Uh, and then I think maybe more fun and actually internationally, there's a half marathon along the Great Ocean Road between Sydney and Melbourne in Australia. So it's kind of like Big Sur. Oh, nice. But uh, down under. So I think that would be a really beautiful race. I think like you, you and dad, um, destination races are great. Um, through like natural spaces. I know you guys did the um, Avenue of the Giants. Yes. I think I have definitely taken after taken after both of you and wanting to do races in cool natural landscapes. Nice, nice. Well, hopefully you get out to the Avenue of the Giants and maybe your dad and I need to put a, that Australian race on our, on our calendar, our someday calendar. Is there something you say to yourself when the going gets tough? Depending on the race, if it's a, if it's a race and it's been a really tough race, and I'm in pain, um, <laughs> as most runners find themselves in at some point or another. I can't remember where I heard the quote, but it was a quote of, you're already in pain, you may as well get something for it. So for me, I remember running actually the Detroit half, and at mile 12, I had been running a really good race, and I remember at mile 12 stopping to walk for the first time all race. And I walked for about 10 steps. Again, I was in pain, I really wanted to be done. I only had a mile to go. And it just sort of hit me. You've done all this work for 12 miles, at least get something for it. So that's something I often remind myself when I, um, you know, don't want to continue. (laughs) Maybe that's, what is that? Uh, 
masochistic of me. <laughs> but <laughs> Well, I think what I've learned is everybody has something to help them get through the miles. And the idea of this podcast is that hopefully someone out there listening picks up even just a tidbit that might help them just for one race or in your case, one mile to finish that distance. So um, it's all good. Everything that's shared is is all good. And uh, if it gets you to the finish line, and obviously you're a very fast runner, so that definitely worked for you. What are what are your strategies? <laughs> are you do you listen to music when you run? Are there certain? I do, but see, I I use that as a motivator. So I don't let myself start out with music. I will start listening. I'll say to myself at the start of the race, "All right, later on, I'll listen to music." And I will only use it if I really need to. Um, and I have shared that one time I did a very uh, popular race and I couldn't even hear my music. There were so many spectators. So I think being prepared to run without music is really valuable and then using it as a motivation towards the end. Do you listen to music the whole time? I usually do. Yeah. Um, some I remember like in training on long runs, I would actually listen to like audiobooks or like podcasts even. Um <laughs> But during races, I definitely, definitely turned to music, I would say, to get me motivated and through the miles. So, and like you, I stagger a kind of a different strategy, but there are certain songs that when I'm putting a playlist together for a, a race, I'll try and slot in to know at mile eight, you know, these couple songs are going to come on. Oh, um, very good. Which is kind of, I guess, maybe a, an intense strategy, but I like mapping my, my music out like that. <laughs> And I know if I'm ahead or behind based on what song is playing. Oh, that is, see, you're a little more organized than, than I am. I might name my, you know, playlists like this is Vermont or this is Detroit. And I love going back to listen to those playlists because it takes me right back to that place. But mm -hmm. I might have to try your strategy of plunking in some music, right? When I know I'm going to need the extra bit of energy. Mm -hmm. Well, I want to say, Tom, it has just been wonderful to have you join me today. I hope we can race together soon. I really enjoyed when we've done races. And to our listeners, thank you for tuning in to the 50 States Finish Line podcast. You can find episodes on all podcast platforms. Until next time, I hope our listeners feel energized about planning your next race and happy running. Thanks for having me. Thanks, all. <laughs>